Welcome to A Break in the Action, where we take a break from the business of our days to focus on outdoor pursuits and the traditional sporting lifestyle. Join us for discussion and interviews on vintage and modern break-action shotguns, sporting literature, outdoor leisure, and reviews of best-in-class gear, accessories, and destinations. So pour yourself a drink. Sit back, relax, and let's take a break in the action. Now here's your host, Shotgun collector, wing shooter, and sporting clays enthusiast, Ryan Dowdy. I often speak of the few London best gun makers, but there's another who many say bested the London guns in innovation, matched them in quality, and who produced far fewer guns, making them, in my mind, a truly special and exceptional best shotgun. Definitely some that you need to know about. Let me cue the same background music that I used for the Shooting Tweeds episode because we're returning to Scotland. Scotland today plays a major role in wing shooting, with the glorious 12th signaling the start of the wing shooting season and the completion of the McNabb Challenge being the pinnacle achievement for many sportsmen and women. Scotland has long been renowned for its abundant wildlife, particularly game birds like grouse, partridge, and pheasants. The sport of wing shooting, particularly grouse, became an integral part of the Scottish culture and a favored pastime among the wealthy elite. The Victorian era saw the expansion of the rail system deep into the Scottish Highlands, making regions previously difficult to get to now accessible. Wing shooting in the mysterious and remote Scottish Highlands reflected a display of the social status and the camaraderie among the upper echelons of society. It was a time when estates and their associated activities, including shooting, stood as the symbols of their wealth, power, and displayed leisure that was reserved for the privileged class. Shooting parties became elaborate social events, drawing aristocrats, politicians, and influential figures to the Scottish Highlands. During this time, it was driven grouse that emerged as the preeminent shooting activity. Large estates owned by aristocratic families were managed to sustain healthy populations of grouse. These estates employed gamekeepers who meticulously maintained the moorlands and heather to create ideal habitats for the birds. The controlled landscape was crucial for ensuring successful shoots. The estates hosted guests who participated in driven grouse shoots where beaters drove the birds towards the waiting guns positioned strategically along the moors. A driven grouse flies low and fast at speeds of 70 and sometimes 80 miles an hour. The shooters, referred to as guns, positioned themselves in structures dug into the moors called grouse butts. Birds whiz by in a blink, so shooters have to be ever-ready and agile. Advancements in shotguns enhanced the shooting experience. Many of these innovations were centered around building shotguns that handled faster to stay in front of the jet-powered birds. Among the Scottish best game gun manufacturers, John Dixon & Son is one of the most highly regarded. Tonight, I'm on the phone with someone very special. JP, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, Brian. Uh, good afternoon. Um, my name's uh, JP Daeschler. I am the uh, managing director of John Dixon and Son, the gunmakers uh, in Scotland. We are Scotland's oldest gunmaker. 
Great, great. Well, I appreciate you joining the podcast. Um, you and I got an opportunity to chat a bit at the Vinegar's Cup, and we made a plan to put an episode together. So thank you for uh, working me into your schedule. I know that you've had kind of a crazy busy day, so thanks for, thanks for working me in. You mentioned that you're the managing director for John Dixon and Son. Um, that is sort of a simplified introduction of yourself, uh, right? John Dixon and Son represents several other brands. Um, what, what other what other brands uh, do you represent? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, John Dixon and Son is a sort of flagship company, um, you know, from Edinburgh. Over the last two centuries has had the opportunity to acquire and assimilate some of the other Edinburgh gun makers. So uh, sort of like headline, we've got John Dixon and Son. Sitting underneath that is James McNaughton and Sons, Daniel Fraser, Alexander Henry, uh, Mortimer and Son, and Alex Martin. Um, we also have two very smaller subsidiaries of things that we absorbed just through acquisitions. So we also uh, effectively own the names of uh, William Garden of Aberdeen and Charles Playfair of Aberdeen. Okay. I'm, I'm not familiar with those two. I'm going to have to uh, to look those up. The others, though, are some legendary shotgun and rifle makers. Um, and not just when discussing best Scottish makers, but honestly, when the conversation is on best gun makers generally. Um, what I guess a good place to start is always, what is the history of John Dixon? How did he get his start and go on to build such a huge um, shotgun legacy? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story, um, and it it occurs at a time when you know the other great names that I'm I know you've covered in some of the other conversations you've had, uh, most recently like Wesley Richards right. or Parodies. Yep. Uh, um, John Dixon, um, while the story starts in Edinburgh in, in 1794, and that was the birth of John Dixon, um, the, the first gunmaker, um, he was in fact not the, not the son of a gunmaker. His father was a wine porter. So his, uh, his father, was, um, who was John Dixon, was responsible for moving the port and wine off the ships in the Leith Dock in Edinburgh to the, the various pubs and hostelries. Um, but um, clearly, this this was not the route that John Dixon was destined to follow, and he uh, he actually joined Scotland's greatest gunmaker at the time, which was James Wallace. And James Wallace was the gunmaker to the King, King of Scotland. Um, he had a small shop, a prestigious shop um, on the on the on the high street leading up to the castle, and John Dixon joined James Wallace at the at the ripe old age of twelve years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah talk, talk about starting them young wow yeah you're not kidding <laughs> and uh <clears throat> but john dixon was clearly a very astute student um because by the time he was 20 years old you know only eight years later not only was he the foreman of james wallace's shop but he was basically running the whole show wow and james wallace was was basically looking at retirement so um, Wallace's business was effectively uh, being run by by John Dixon. Huh. So, so when then did the and son um, come in? So John Dixon was the foreman of Wallace's shop, um, and by this time he he had been joined by his son. Now it wasn't until eighteen thirty eight that John Dixon would have his own shop, 
with his name above the door. And his name above the door was John Dixon and Son. He never had a business that was called John Dixon. Mm. He went into business for the first time as John Dixon and Son. And that would continue for the second John Dixon and the third John Dixon um, with the, joining their sons, basically, in, in business. Um, we, it's, it's actually John Dixon III that we have to thank for our, our, uh, our lovely, iconic round action gun. Right, right. So, and, and speaking of that, um, when I think about Scottish best game guns, my mind automatically pictures a Dixon round action. So um, describe that for us. What makes a Dixon round action so special? so unique well let's just take a step back there and think about the time and the period you know we're talking about the 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 late 1800s we had we had wesley richards their lovely anson and dealey box lock gun Mm -hmm. we had the london gun makers with all their patent side lock guns you know in, in fact james purdy and son with their beasley side lock ejector and there was really something else to fit in the middle of all of that, and um, it was a it was at a, in the late eighteen eighties uh, no eight eighteen seventies. Um, clearly, there was a gap in the market and something truly Scottish. The Dixon round action was conceived to do one thing and one thing only, and that was to be a fast handling grouse gun. That is the native bird that we shoot in Scotland. Um, it's a it's a it's a wild bird. It's not a re- reared bird, and um, the attributes of that gun was to be, you know, very fast handling, very lively between the hands, and that was achieved by this this round action design. Technically speaking, it's a trigger plate action gun. Um, that means that effectively the lock work that you would find on a side lock gun is mounted inboard on the trigger plate um, above the triggers. And that enabled the action to be completely sculpted and, and rounded off, removing the material, but still being solid in the body for strength. Um, that, that gave the ability to make a 12 gauge, 29 inch barrel gun weighing six pounds. Oh, wow. That's nice. That's nice. So JP, it's pretty common these days for shotguns to be advertised as round bodied or rounded body guns. A round body gun usually just kind of has corners knocked off of, of what would otherwise be just a squared action. We're, we're talking about something altogether different with a Dixon round action, aren't we? Uh, you're absolutely right. And it's actually something that kind of like riles me a little bit <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of people say I have a round action or I have a round body or you make a round body. We are the only makers of the round action gun. Mm. John Dixon was the round action gun maker. And um, yeah, there are n- numerous gun makers um, around the world. You know, we, we've seen them in, in, in England and Italy and Spain that make round round bodied guns, you know, rounded off whether it be a side lock gun or a box lock gun, but we are the only true round action makers. Hmm. Were there, um, were there any other um, noteworthy um, designs that Dixon had? V- very few. Um, everything was concentrated really on the round action in the, in the 1860s, Dixon had their, their patent hammer gun, but we, we could never find a patent raised for this. 
And there's nothing really unique about it. It's just the, the sort of style and the way that they built the guns. And when we look through the order books, we see our patent, our patent. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of reference to a patent filed somewhere. Um, when it comes to the round action, um, our first patent was raised in 1880 with a follow-up to the trigger plate and the, lock and the bolting and cocking system in 1882. And then there were two final uh, patents for that action uh, in 1887, which was the ejector system. Did John Dixon ever produce an over and under? Um, yes. I mean, that's that's quite an interesting question because people come to Dixon's and historically bought guns from Dixon's always side-by-sides and they come to buy side-by-sides. But John Dixon and son, well, John Dixon the third had a different idea about that. And he actually took the round action and turned it on its side so that the gun, and it noted in the order book, is barrel, one barrel on top of the other. But that meant that the gun basically opened on its side. It was a side opening over and under. And believe it or not, he introduced this gun in 1888. Wow. So, so, so basically a side by side that was then turned on its side with barrels that, that open, I guess, on the on the left is that right yeah that that's it that's exactly what it did so he he basically slimmed the action down in the the width so it was very narrow and then he had basically two four ends one on either side the wood on the barrels um and uh and and then it, it opened to its side there is a belgian gun maker who built something very similar you might have come across it. It was a super Brit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. So very similar things. So you kind of like thumbed the side lever, which is effectively the top lever of the gun. Mm-hmm. So Dixon only built um, four of these guns. Uh, the first one in 1888. And then, then it would be not until 1953 that the second one would be built. A follow a follow up gun was built in 1960, and the final one we built was in 2007. Mm. Um, we followed that up with with five conventional kind of over and under trigger plate over and under guns. So we took the Dixon trigger plate and mated it to a round rounded action over and under a conventional opening, and we built we built those in 2010. Five special order over and unders. Is that still being offered? No, no. People, like I said, people come to Dixon's to buy the traditional side-by-side round-action game gun, and that's what we pride ourselves in making. Right, right. JP, speak for a minute on game shooting in Scotland back then, and, and maybe how the word on the Dixon shotgun spread. I've discussed quite a bit um, on this podcast what the game shooting culture in and around London looked like, back in the golden age of shotgunning, did Dixon's reputation grow as a byproduct of the English coming up to shoot grouse in Scotland? Or was it their popularity in Scotland that grew south um, and, and then beyond the border into England? Did, that, did that question make that's sense? That's an excellent question because Scottish people are very Scottish brand orientated and they're very loyal. So Scottish people buy Scottish things. They don't buy English things. <laughs> and if we talk about that period when, you know, the, the, the gentry 
of the of of England, the United Kingdom were traveling to Scotland. They, you know, they were on the train. They were traveling from King's Cross all the way to Edinburgh and then to Perth, the gateway to the Highlands, and going to shoot on their estates and shoot shoot grouse, which was the thing to do back then. Um, they were bringing their own guns, so they were bringing their you know their Purdies and their Hollands and their Bosses and their Henry Atkins and their Langs. Um, they weren't typically Dixon customers. Mm. So when we look through the Dixon records for 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 a hundred years, it's it's like reading the who's who of of, of Scotland. And you know, Dixon's clientele line by line is every lord, lady, advocate, which mm. is a senior kind of lawyer. Yeah. Um a, you know, a sheriff, barristers you know, really accomplished um, physicians or men of science. Um, it, it just read as the who's who of Scotland at any particular time. Um, and it's and it's also a very, you know, the, the same names appear in the order book throughout history, the same family names. So, you know, it was very much a tradition, you know, a family they were buying Dixons, you know, through the generations. So the father would have a pair, his sons would have pairs, his brother would have pairs. You know, when the boys came of age, 16 years old, 18 years old, 21 years old, they would receive a Dixon. Hmm. So it, it, it's incredible. You can actually see these family trees in the orders of our guns. I love that. I love that. That's great. So it sounds like then the generational popularity of Dixon shotguns with the Scots um, had to then almost be the what what radiated that popularity outside of the country's borders. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing again south down into England. I mean, somehow, somewhere, the secret got out. Some somehow, um, the secret of these Dixon round action shotguns spread. Right? I it I wouldn't say the word spread. I mean, they, it it was kind of like the best kept secret. You know, they people. You know, they were very, very happy. And, and, you know, certainly in Edinburgh, you look at the the owners of these guns, they were also mem members, you know, for the ones that were in the military, they obviously spent time together and talked about, well, you know, I bought this best gun, you should go order yourself one. Um, or if they were members of these gentlemen's clubs, particularly, uh, for instance, the new club in Edinburgh, I'm sure they all sat around the fireplace drinking uh, whiskey and smoking cigars and talking about, well, I just got my pair, you should go and buy a pair. And because the you know when we again when we look at the order book and we look at the names these guys all knew each other <laughs> you know it, it's quite incredible to see the names and the associations between between the owners and well this guy was this guy's neighbor on this estate this guy was went to the same club as this guy these two guys were the managing directors of some insurance company they both had dixons it's not a it's not a coincidence um but it, it's an interest it is an interesting question because it, you know, when we look, when we talk about that that name and that spread, it 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 never really happened. Mm. It it you know our production. If I talk about our production of our guns, it is a fraction of 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 the rest of the gun makers in the United Kingdom. I mean, to put some context for you, Ryan, if you think about James Purdy and Son, they've probably built in excess of twenty five thousand Beasley Purdy sidelock ejector guns um, since. Since it's an inception in eighteen eighty four, I think 
you look at Holland and Holland, they've probably built in excess of 40,000 Royal sidelock ejectors in various guises, you know, shotguns, double rifles. But, you know, that's what we associate the Royal with Holland and Holland. It might shock you to hear that we have built less than 2,000 round actions oh, wow. ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So this is why they are highly sought after Holy Grail guns. Huh. Well, that makes it that much more impressive that Dixon shotguns are included in, in, in the conversations that, that people have about the best of the best. Um, if the conversation expands from London best to British best, Dixon is always included. So I, I guess I had no idea um, that the production was so relatively low. Yeah, it, it, is, it, is a, it, is, it is a tiny number and in, in comparison to everyone else. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation, the golden years of, of shooting and guns. For Dixons, that was between 1900 and 1906. That was our highest production of guns, of round, round action guns. And it, when we look at 1904, we produced 85 in one year. And I've seen, I've seen many of those guns, and they are all best guns. You know, there, there is absolutely, you know, superb quality. Um, another interesting thing about, about the guns, and, you know, we talked about spreading the word and, and, and the guns out there is, mm -hmm. you know, the Dixon guns, they're very different to, to everything else. They're not, they're not ostentatious. They're not bling. Um, if you, you know, we only know of two round actions that have gold inlay in them. Um, one that was done for a very special uh, customer, Lord Moncrief, and he, he bought many guns. His family bought many guns from, from Dixon's. And most recently, we did a commemorative gun, and uh, it was engraved by Ken Hunt, and he put some gold birds in it. But that's it. Dixon didn't believe on bling on the hill. <laughs> you know, there's no gold in my guns. They're just color case hardened. You don't want to distract any, the birds or, or do anything like that. The, uh, the other thing about the, the guns is um, when you come across our guns, you'll notice that the checkering is quite coarse. Um, it's a very wide pattern compared to a best London gun. And the reason for that, and that's recorded in John Dixon's diary, is that it was to provide grip for the foul Scottish weather because it rains all the time in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is probably an unfair generalization, but you often hear that Scots are proudly practical and, and, Every detail of these guns, they, they aren't overly embellished and everything has like a practical reason um, for why for why it's there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and when you look at our trigger plate mechanism, there was some refinement in it over there, you know, for efficiency. Um, but you look at our later guns from the sort of 1910, they, they're all completely gold washed inside and you never see it. Um, and the reason for that was to protect, protect it from corrosion from the rain. Um, so, you know, you take these guns apart and they're completely gold washed inside. Mm. Mm. Okay. So let's move on now to the, a few of the other makers that you represent. Another brand that is under the Dixon and son umbrella, um, is McNaughton. Um, you and I spoke before we started recording about the McNaughton skeleton, which is a remarkably beautiful shotgun. Can you speak a bit about that? Um, I know um, it's probably seen even lower production numbers um, over the years. Describe, describe what a McNaughton skeleton side-by-side -side is. Okay, so 
James McNaughton was actually the kind of the first guy to the line with a trigger plate action, round action gun, believe it or not. He patent, raised a patent for his trigger plate action gun one year before John Dixon did, so 1879. Um, and there was a, there was a great myth, um, a while ago. Uh, well, certainly when Donald Dallas was researching the book on, on Dixon's that, you know, people had said there'd been a court action between James McNaughton and John Dixon, and, and that, in fact, never happened. That was not true. There was no evidence of either of them taking each other to court for patent infringement. And I think that was because um, John Dixon had huge respect for his former apprentice. So James McNaughton was apprenticed to John Dixon. Um, and I think James McNaughton didn't have an issue with John Dixon, um, simply because he had huge respect for his master gunmaker. So... We have a round action gun, trigger plate mechanism. It is it is different to the Dixon in a number of ways. People people look at the two guns and they go, well, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like it's not at all. The mechanism, how it cocks, how it ejects, how the tumblers are fitted, very very different uh, different machine altogether. Um, James McNaughton was a was a fantastic gun maker, gun and rifle maker, but again, very very small production best guns only and um, if you thought the Dixon was rare um, there are about 350 Edinburgh guns which are round action the McNaughton round action Dixon equivalent round action McNaughton and there are a less than 150 skeleton guns wow. ever made wow yeah so, so 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 elaborate on it a little bit more tell tell the listeners what the big deal um, about this design is that leads to it being referred to as a skeleton gun. Okay, so they McNaughton from the start um, built his his round action gun, so that the body is completely rounded off, all the lock work fitted on the trigger plate. But he took it one step further, and it became his his trademark gun. And that in the action body, he machined out all the metal that goes around the trigger plate all the way up to the knuckle of the action. And that was effectively all wood extended all the way up to the, to the, to the knuckle of, of the gun. Um, very little canvas for engraving, um, but you know, with a, with a big long wide trigger plate and a long wide top strap, there was more room to put some engra elaborate engraving there. But, it's completely devoid of um, of engraving on the sides of the action. In, in, instead, you have this lovely piece of wood continuing all the way up to the knuckle of the action. When you flip the gun over, the trigger plate actually looks like an island in a sea of wood. Yeah, they they are an amazing, amazing shotgun. And when you say that it doesn't have much room for engraving or embe embellishment, it doesn't need it. When when you see one of these guns, you're, you'll understand what I mean. They're really, really special. Some might be familiar with the term bar and wood. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of getting close to describing what the McNaughton skeleton gun is, but there's there's even more to so, it, yeah, it's um, a, it than that, than a, than a current common bar and wood. Bar, you're absolutely right. It's a bar and wood gun. The reason we call it a skeleton gun and why McNaughton coined the phrase a skeleton gun is when you remove that wood and you see how he's machined and shaped the action on the inside, it looks like a skeleton, and, and it really does. I've never seen one in person, but I've, I've, I see that you've got pictures of them 
um, online some really, really great pictures. I'll try to remember to add a link um, to those photos in the show notes. Did I notice that you guys have produced one of those over the past we, few years? Oh, yeah. We, we, we produce... We produce two of those a year oh, okay. at the moment. Okay. So we've just delivered two just recently to a client, but we deliver them on an annual basis. Yeah. So that, that, that gun, that gun is still in production. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at, again, at the pictures on your site and, and they're just beautiful. So um, I want everyone listening to make sure you check them out on the John Dixon and son website. If you haven't seen one of these before, um, Okay, so what else? Another maker that you represent is Alex Martin. Um, the Ribless side by side is a is a is a pretty unique shotgun. I've I've spoken before about being a big fan of a Ribless over and under, or or, or maybe a Boss style quarter rib. Um, this is sort of that, but it's on a side by side. Can you describe um, the Alex Martin uh, Ribless side by side for us? Yeah, definitely. Okay, that was, uh, again, one of the more sort of unusual things to come of the Alex Martin workshop. Uh, so Alex Martin, Alexander Martin by name, uh, came from the town of Paisley, um, just near Glasgow. And uh, I think he founded in 1774. So very early gun maker. Um, Alex Martin is probably most famous for uh, later on in the sort of uh, eight, uh, 19th century. Um, there their rifles, uh, a lot of their sporting rifles uh, for deer, deer shooting, um, and also their target rifles. Um, and they're also probably well known, most well known for their fishing tackle. So they were a big fishing tackle manufacturer uh, on the west coast in Glasgow. They had an outpost in Edinburgh, and in 1960, when the business um, the, the the last owner of uh, the last Martin in the business had no one to pass the, the business on to. John Dixon acquired acquired that business. So that again, that's another name that sits under our brand as such. The Ribless gun is quite an unusual thing, and um, again, another rare and interesting gun. So the concept behind it was was basically taking a conventional. Uh, you see one or two Ribless side locks, but mainly box lock guns, best grade box lock guns. And um, taking away the effectively the ribs between between the, the tubes, um, and again just fitted with a tiny sort of quarter rib at the muzzle, and a very short short rib um, up towards the breech, and a sort of interim rib just so the forend loop could be fitted to it, so it could attach to the forend. Now the 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 photos that I see, I'm not seeing like a top down picture so are, are the barrels truly separated through through the middle there can you see right through them from from up yeah, yeah ab ab absolutely so as i said the last the last piece of rib is only a couple of inches long the rib at the breech is a couple of inches long and then there's a a piece of rib probably about two inches long again just where the forend is between that you can see right through it mm. it's interesting to me that all three of these noteworthy designs if you really distill them down to the key kind of benefits that they offered and try to get into the minds of the designers who, who created them, each one is the end result of trying to shave just a few more ounces um, off the gun, right? Yep. We talked about that round action. That, that provides the opportunity to produce a six-pound, six-ounce, 12-gauge shotgun. I don't see specs, but I would assume that the skeleton gun from McNaughton has the potential to weigh even less since it, it replaces even more um, steel 
with wood. And if we look at the Alex Martin ribless, it is also eliminating what steel it could to make the make the shotgun even lighter. Would you say that that was the main driver for some of these unique designs that were coming out of Scotland? The the necess the necessity while in the grouse butt of being able to shoot fast and and to just stay um, super nimble with your shotgun. Yeah, absolutely. When when you're shooting grouse, you want a what we call a lively, fast handling gun. Um, something that you know can be actioned very very quickly in the field because those those birds are moving <laughs> and and at you know and six feet six feet off the deck um, coming at coming at you at you know 40 45 miles an hour so um, you've got to you've got to move and it, it definitely contributed to the development of, of the of these types of guns if we're talking about the Alex Martin Ribless and um, yeah, you know, you're talking about a, a sub six pound gun. Um, those guns tended to have slightly shorter barrels, so most of the guns we see are sort of 27 inch. Um, you know, to enable enable that um, you know that sort of fast handling aspect of it. You'll also see that they're reverse choked as well, so the right barrel will will be will be the tighter choke first, and the left barrel, which is the second trigger, the rear trigger is the more open choke. And the reason for that is if you're in a grouse butt and you're looking down range and you've got those birds coming in like missiles, you want the tight choke first to hit that bird. And then the, the second shot is going to be right through the line, very close quarters. So very open choke. So quite often with these guns, you see the chokes reversed in them. Mm. Tell me what the John Dixon and Son company looks like um, today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dixon's is, I think, has never <laughs> has never been busier, um, and that's that's a good thing. So we, you know, we are a small gun making business in Scotland, based in Dunkeld in Perthshire. That's about a hundred miles, about a hundred miles northwest of Edinburgh. Um, we did have a flagship store in Edinburgh for for you know a very long time, but you know, the economic climate and certainly the, the high street of Edinburgh was certainly not the place for a gun maker anymore. But we'd already established our manufacturing facility at Dunkeld in 2001. So we've been there 22 years now. And um, today our business lines are in terms of, of new guns and rifles are the, obviously the John Dixon round action gun. We also build the McNaughton skeleton gun. And in the rifles, we also own the Daniel Fraser name, and we build a, a stalking bolt-action stalking rifle um, on a Mauser-type uh, action, and also on the Manly Kershona action on the original Fraser design. So that uh, that that keeps us busy. Yeah. How, how many guns are you guys producing per year currently? No, that's fine. We 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 aim to deliver three new guns a year. However, off the back of that, we also, in terms of rifles, we're delivering two to three rifle bolt-action rifles a year, and we have a huge amount of repair and restoration and remanufacturing uh, of guns uh, going through the workshop. So, you know, we deliver two or three of those remanufactured guns. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's where we where we find a, a really good action of a, a Dixon round action, typically and that's got good engraving or good provenance um and the rest we basically throw away and we rebuild that gun to the customer's requirements 
um, so it's a, as we call it the remanufactured gun. They're very very popular because it it kind of you know from from people that are very interested in the heritage and the tradition of these guns it gives an opportunity to get a vintage gun which has a story of its own up to that point and now it's the opportunity for them to add their story to this gun yeah i love that i I would imagine that with production numbers um as as low as they are with you guys the process of working with dixon on a new order is, is is probably a pretty intimate one is it is it common for clients to come and meet you there in Scotland or on a new order or do you guys just do them straight up online or over the phone? What, what's the process look like there? It, it could be, but we prefer to engage with our customers. So Ryan, Ryan, that's why you see me in the U S quite a lot. So, um, you know, I love to be out and meeting customers, understanding what they're looking for, what they're going to be hunting with the gun so that we can, we can fulfill that, that requirement as such. You know, we're very fortunate that a lot of our customers do make the pilgrimage to Scotland, um, you know, through the process of building the gun. And we've even had one or two, you know, make the trip to collect the gun and then go and shoot it in Scotland and, yeah. and then return it to us. And we export it back back to them. So that 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 that's a that's a been a very successful part of the story. We've recently had a gentleman, a gentleman from Oregon who his lifelong dream was to shoot in Scotland and it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. He arrived in October, collected his Dixon round action, went and shot some some pheasants and some grouse and returned to the shop, very, very happy man, and said, I'm coming back next year. <laughs> so his once in a lifetime trip yep. is now. Now it's an be a now it's an annual thing. trip. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. great. Well, I'm 100% sure that I'm not alone in saying that that a driven grouse um, hunt in Scotland would be my absolute dream trip. And and I'm also um, certain that when I'm lucky enough to finally get to do that, it's got to be with a Dixon round action in hand. Um, JP, I appreciate it. Speaking with you has been very unique um, in that I can tell that you really have kind of a hands-on relationship with these guns. Um, thank you for being so accommodating when we kind of first spoke in the States and, and for working me into your busy schedule uh, to make this call happen. And I, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now that, you know, that's no problem, Ryan. You know, my, I wear many hats in the business. Um, you know, I've spent time at the bench. You know, I am a trained, trained gun maker. Um, I have to spend time with, with customers. So I'm, I've got my sales manager hat on too, but I've got to run a factory too and and run the business. But one of the most important things to me about this business is the heritage and the tradition, the Scottish heritage and tradition of this business. And, you know, part of that is also education. Um, we were very fortunate to have a group of, of, of customers, um, who came over to shoot in Scotland. They'd come over from Texas and they were with us last week. And half the group had never heard of Dixon's before. And, you know, by the end of the evening, they were like, wow, we are coming back. We're going to we're going to see you at a show in the United States. We want to learn more about this. Tell us about these guns. And, you know, I was able to tell them some some really interesting stories about ownership and and the history of the firm. And I, I enjoy that aspect of, of the heritage and the tradition of the company. Yeah, it, it, it shows you're, you're a great um, ambassador um, for Dixon and Sons and, and, and these other, um, these other makers too. JP, if someone wants to learn more about John Dixon and Son, um, and the other brands that you represent, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? How, how can they, how can they find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you head to our website, which is john-dixon.com, there is a contact uh, page on there. Fill in your details and we'll be we'll be straight back to you to help with, with if you're looking for a new gun, if you're looking for a vintage gun, if you're looking for some information on a gun that you've seen somewhere, we can help, you know, with some appraisal or, or valuation. Um, and if you're an existing owner, we have our owners club. So um, that costs nothing to join. It's just based on the serial number of your gun. And, and we offer a number of benefits and, 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 you know, associated things with the club to sort of help with your ownership of the gun. So, you, you know, at Dixon's, it's not always about new guns. You know, our, our older guns are important to us too and keeping them in the field and, and, and backing up or supporting the customers of those guns. Um, I've got a good, I've got a really good friend of, a uh, gun dealer friend of mine based in Copenhagen in Denmark. And he took me aside many years ago and he said, JP, looking after yesterday's customers sells tomorrow's guns. And that has, that has stuck with me ever since. And, uh, you know, that the, the, the inception of the owners club really, really important and it's doing really well. Um, and, you know, as I said, I'm in the US several times a year for shows and for client meetings and events. So, you know, if, if a client can't make it to, to Scotland or there's only so much you can do over a Zoom or email or a telephone call, I'm more than happy to to to, to pitch up and uh, and uh, have a you know face to face conversation. You know, I'll be back. I'll be back at Dallas uh, Dallas Safari Club in January. I'll be at SC High in Nashville the following following month. Um, you know, the Southern, which is a great event. Yep, um, absolutely. Great, yep. great. So, you know, that's a great event for us. That That's not about new guns. That's about vintage guns. And, you know, we, we thoroughly enjoy, you know, we have a Dixon Owners Club get together there. Everyone brings their show and tell guns, McNaughton's, Dixon's, all kinds of uh, Scottish guns. Um, and then, you know, several other visits throughout throughout the year. Um, and it's great. I, you know, I, I genuinely enjoy meeting with clients and helping them achieve what they're looking for. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know that it's a lot of hard work, but it's, it's apparent that you really love um, these shotguns and, and love what you do. Well, that it's, it, yeah, that's, it's that shared passion. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. it's that, that enthusiasm and passion. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to your other podcasts. Appreciate that. Thank um, you. You know, they've, they've been really, really good and you've got a voice for it as well. So, <laughs> well, it, it's a good thing. Um, yeah. I, it's a good thing, I guess. What what's the what's the saying about having a face for for radio? I guess um, that applies to podcasts too. <laughs> JP, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you again the next time we cross paths. Um, probably uh, probably at the Southern. Well, I'll I'll be bringing the whiskey. So the of course, on me. of course. <laughs> <laughs> JP, thank you again. Pleasure. Thank thanks thanks for your time, Ryan. Take care. So how do we wrap this one up? I hope that you've come away from this episode with maybe a new maker to learn about or a new unique shotgun model to investigate. That's honestly one of my favorite aspects of shotguns is the amazing variety of superbly engineered and masterfully crafted shotguns that are out there to learn about, and if you're lucky, to one day own. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow our social sites. I'm going to have some photos of a few of the shotguns that we've discussed today. Stay tuned for more episodes, and make sure to tell a friend who might enjoy the show. And until next time... We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Break in the Action. Want to hear your voice on a future episode? Leave a message 
ask a question, or suggest a topic on our listener line at 317-662-4520. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and visit us at abreakintheaction.com.